Hello, thank you for joining Above Replacement Radio. We talked about the first two games of each league championship series and how disappointing the 2023 MLB playoffs have been so far. We also talked about Kim Ng's departure from the Miami Marlins and if the Marlins will regret making this decision. Baseball isn't just numbers, numbers, numbers. This game is not being played on computers. You don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. You don't put a team together with a computer. We're talking weighted runs created plus, expected Woba, his sweet spot rate, defensive runs above average, the average exit velocity, barrel rate, XFIP, BABIP, SIERA. We are above replacement radio. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. Uh, we got some more playoffs to talk about. Obviously, the LCS has got underway uh, since our last pod. Uh, unfortunately, we have two 2-0 series. We don't have any 1-1s, uh, which has really just been the theme of these playoffs completely. But, uh, you know, I mean, it feels like next pod we'll probably be talking about the World Series preview. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's been it's been interesting. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into the breakdown of these series, we do have to talk about how objectively terrible these playoffs have been because yeah like i i'm no i'm almost no longer looking forward to playoff games because i feel like i just know how they're going to end they're just that we've had 26 we've had 26 playoff games so far the losing team of the series has won a combined two games uh you know it's been eight series so far uh or yeah eight series so far six sweeps We've had 26 games, zero extra inning games, zero walk-offs, and uh, I think four one-run games. Maybe I think maybe a little higher. Yeah, four one-run games, and even the upsets are were haven't been cool. Like when the Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers, they just dominated them. Like yeah, it was think, just not even a series. Like think thinking back to like the 2021 Red Sox over the Rays, like that was an exciting series. 2019 Nationals over the over the Dodgers was an exciting series uh like these like whatever upsets there have been have not been even exciting or like even like really good like just radio fodder to talk about it's just been it just has not been good so far and probably won't yeah, be. no it's been it's been brutal to watch i mean it's weird that every i mean like obviously you know the rangers over the astros was is has been kind of an upset so far but even then you know like the Rangers, the Astros have scored what? How many? Like three combined runs, I think. Yeah, and, and then we're in. in one the game. Astros have not had a lead yet. Yeah, the Astros haven't had a lead yet. Um, Jordan Alvarez is still cool, but. Yeah. But that's about it. Yeah, like. You know the game, the past two game twos, like the, the Rangers got up, uh, four nothing. And it just felt like, yeah, this is kind of how it's going to be. I mean, the Astros made it close. They had a, they had some situations with runners in scoring position with with bases loaded, nobody out, didn't come through. When the Phillies went up, you know, two nothing in in their game yesterday, uh, it just felt like it was over. Anytime the Phillies go up, it does feel like it's over, especially especially at, especially at Citizens Bank Park. Yeah. But I feel like that's just been a constant theme throughout the playoffs. It feels like teams are just not going to come back. That's why that's why that Braves game, which ended up meeting literally nothing, not even a change of uh of the of the pitching rotation for the Phillies, not even that. But 
the Braves game was uh the Braves game where they won was so exciting because we just hadn't seen comebacks like yeah, that. The the best game of the playoffs so far has been one that meant absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things, except for except for the fact that it gave us Attaboy Harper. That's the only thing that it gave us in the grand scheme of things, which I guess which is such a lame thing to be like the top story. Yeah, it it's it, it's not even that it's not even that fun. It was fun to talk about for like, you know, about less than twenty four hours. But uh yeah, it didn't even change the Phillies pitching plans. Like they just started Ranger Suarez again. They were able to have Wheeler and Nola games one and two of the NLCS. Uh yeah, it it changed absolutely nothing. It sold some more tickets to Citizens Bank Park, which is cool. Good for good for the people over there, but uh, and John Middleton. It probably, but... it probably didn't even. It probably it... I think they would have gotten the same attendance regardless of if he said that or not. Oh no, I meant I meant that um they had a game four so that they had they had extra yeah, tickets from that. Fair enough. Um but uh but yeah, no, it's um it's been it's been pretty rough. Like I came home, I you know, I was covering a, a game. Shout out to uh Monticello and Albemarle. You know, I I swear I'm gonna yeah. cover more games outside of those two teams, but it's just so happened that I've covered two games and they've both been Albemarle and Monticello uh, matchups. There are 18 schools that I cover. What are the odds that I land on those two matchups? But um, I come back and I'm, I'm back from, you know, I'm back from that game, writing the, writing the story as the, as the playoff game is on. And I'm, I've barely have any motivation to pay attention because these playoffs have just been so, so utterly just disappointing so far. Yeah. I mean, especially like the Phillies, the Phillies are just such a machine that like they're not even that fun to watch because it it just feels like it's over in the it's fun that they're hitting a million home runs, don't get me wrong. And it's also fun that like Trey Turner's going off, Bryce Harper obviously is just endlessly fun to watch in the playoffs. Nick Castellanos has been going off, Kyle Schwarber at the top of the lineup where he belongs has been awesome, but like their opponents are just out of it by the fourth inning every time it feels like. Yeah, I, I guess like the one saving grace you could hypothetically say to these playoffs is the fact that the Phillies and Rangers are the teams that are the ones dominating. If it was yeah. like the Astros and Braves, it would the I'd I'd be so sick of it. You know, they the past yep. two World Series winners. I don't I don't need that to happen, but the fact that the Phillies are out there dominating at home, it's 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 a different type of atmosphere. And the fact that the Rangers are out there dominating, you know, going seven and zero in the playoffs so far. That's really cool because, you know, as we mentioned, uh, I think last episode, that franchise has the longest drought out of any team that entered the playoffs this year. So it's good to see them, you know, go out and, and dominate the postseason so far. But, uh, I, thought the, but yeah. I thought the Brewers technically did. The Brewer, so the Brewers the Brewer, have a longer... The city did, right? The city the, the did, city. but the franchise has yeah. not. Okay, the, makes yeah, sense. The, um, the Brewers have back, them by like two yeah. years. Going back to how bad the playoffs been, this has been a stat. Uh, this is a stat from the TBS crew at MLB, but um, I think there have been like 25 games where, you know, a team led after four innings, and only twice has the lead been taken after the four. There's only been a lead change twice after the fourth inning in these yeah. playoffs, which is like you know not a lot of exciting comebacks, not a lot of moments. Um, like I said, the biggest, the best individual moment has been from a team that lost every other game right i think the rangers have trailed after one singular inning phillies <laughs> have trained the phillies have trailed after two singular innings uh the eighth yeah. and ninth of, of that braves game <laughs> like you know 
it, there's just it seems like just teams who are losing are just lying down and dying for whatever reason. Um, I think I think we have some potential with the Astros going into um, going into Global Field. Like they they hit very well there. Like that's where Jose Altuve hit three home runs in the first three innings of a game this year. Um, you know, there's you also just can't count out the Astros because they are the Astros. Um, hopefully, if they, I mean, if they take two, you know, at Global Life Field, we got a series. Yeah, I mean, if there is a team that I can trust to go out and go out from a deficit and steal some games on the road, it is the Houston Astros. I mean, they did it uh, last year against the Phillies, uh, won two games at Citizens Bank Park, and and even the 2019 World Series. I mean, they were down 2-0 and won all three games at. Uh, at nationals park so i'm pretty sure um they also had a losing record at home this year that's uh yeah that's funny i believe if if not a losing record they were like not excellent at home they were 39 and 42 at home this year and 51 and 30 on the road yeah so yeah hey and yeah my memory my memory of of astros rangers this year and not that regular season really matters that much for for post for like the head-to-head doesn't really translate to uh, the postseason, but Max Scherzer did sort of get teed off by on the by the Astros um, when when he faced them as a Ranger. Yeah. So and uh, and yeah, I mean that is a little bit of news that we don't we don't need to get too into. I mean that's previewing the series, but Max Scherzer is back on the Rangers roster. He's starting Game Three, which is a uh, pretty cool for them. You know, I think I think every Ranger fan would would want him in there over a guy like Andrew Heaney right now even though Heaney's done decent, but you just have a little more confidence in a guy like Scherzer. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully it, I'm rooting for a little bit of like the Astros competing here, but um, we'll see. I mean, do we want to get into uh, into these series now? Yeah, we can get into the series. Um, just noted the Rangers also had John Gray just join them on the postseason roster. He was hurt for the uh AL wildcard series and the American League Division series. So he's back. I'm assuming he's going to start game four. If not him, it'll be probably Heaney or Jane Dunning. But, yeah. you know, that is encouraging to have him back, obviously. Mm-hmm. As well as Thurser. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you have that many guys that, that can go out and start games, you also have guys who can come in early relief uh, and, and help out from there. I mean, that's a team that's that's a thing that a lot of you know successful postseason teams have utilized um you know thinking back to the 2018 Red Sox with Eovaldi and Porcello and sale out of the bullpen uh 2020 Dodgers had Arias do very well out of the bullpen as well um it seems like you know that's that's a good option for teams especially for teams like the 2018 Red Sox who had a rough bullpen um it's you know the Rangers have a you know at least in the regular season had kind of a rough bullpen down the stretch um them having extra guys to go out there that's going to help them out tremendously and uh i guess it already has in a way yeah the rangers uh have a 2-0 lead over the astros i mean went in there went into minute made and took the first two games um and it's been a, a lot to do with pitching and good situational pitching from the rangers um in game one the astros had no extra base hits they did have two barrels and they were both outs. Uh, the Alex Bregman infamous, uh, you know, deep fly ball to left center field that ended up being a double play because Altuve didn't touch second base. That was a barrel, um, which, you know, if that ball if is that ball is 10 feet to the left, we had a tie game. 
Exactly, exactly. And then uh, Jose Abreu had a 108 mile per hour barrel that uh, that was hit pretty much directly to the center fielder. He went back on it a little bit too, and and that ended up being an out as well. So they did have a couple chances that just you know unfortunately went into people's gloves. Um, but you know nonetheless, zero extra base hits from a pretty power heavy Astros team. Jordan Montgomery went six and a third, allowed no runs, one walk. Uh, six strikeouts with a 37% chase rate and also had zero barrels allowed from him. Uh, any particular thoughts on game one? Uh, game one, yeah. I mean, Jordan Montgomery looked great. Um, oh, yeah, his line you, you mentioned, uh, six innings pitched, 6.1 innings pitched, no runs, one walk, six strikeouts. Um, yeah, I mean, not only did he, you know, uh, not, you know, strike a lot of guys out, you know, not walk a lot of people, but he also had very good quality of contact given up. Um, Verlander even too. I mean, like Verlander had a very good outing. I think he had like six innings pitched, maybe even seven innings pitched, two earned runs. Uh, there was the Leody Tavares home run off him, and then the Jonah Heim. I believe it was a single. Um, one thing that Verlander's done very well in these playoffs that's impressed me is he has become like much more of a ground ball guy. Um, if I'm if I'm correct, because Justin Verlander in his career throughout the Statcast era has never had a ground ball rate in any season above 40%. And in the playoffs, it's like well above 40. I know it's only two games, so it's, you know, it's not a lot to go off of. But uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Justin Verlander in these playoffs uh, between the division series against the Twins and the championship series against the Rangers, uh, you know, it feels like he's been doing a lot better with ground balls. Yeah, and and you know, it sort of makes sense just throughout a career like his, you know, the lower of the fastball velocity goes and the lower the fastball spin rate goes, which it seems to be doing for Justin Verlander. I mean, the guy's 40 mm-hmm. years old. Um the the less you want to work top of the zone and try to induce pop-ups. Um but it looks like just in the regular season that ground ball rate was still pretty low, but I mean, in this He's he's gotten the ground balls in the right situations. I I know in the in the Twins start that he had in game 1, uh I know he induced like two pretty big double plays, so it seems like he's pitching well to the situation. Yeah, he did in like back-to-back innings too. Yeah, the first and second. Um but but yeah, I mean, especially to especially to a Rangers roster that, you know, thrives off of home runs, thrives off of power. Um, you know, you you're a little let you're a little more tentative to give up fly balls you know he he's made he's done pretty well at getting pop-ups and getting you know ideal fly balls meaning fly balls that are like you know 35 40 45 degree launch angles that aren't going to leave the park typically um he's been good at that but i think maybe maybe with the rangers uh lineup he wants to you know keep it on the ground a little bit more even if it's not necessarily his go-to pitching style um but yeah montgomery was was uh was fantastic he he allowed a good bit of, of line drives but he didn't allow anything powerful that's why i mentioned the the, the lack of barrels mm-hmm. yeah um and then framer valdez just was not uh you know great in game two i mean he kind of got he kind of got bad up a bit and especially in the first inning but uh yeah four runs allowed in the first inning i believe it was yeah there there were yeah there were a couple 
there were a couple things, you know, a couple batted balls that are not normally hits and some of it is to blame him on himself. You know, there was a, there was a big error by him um, in the, on the third batter of the game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that, uh, I mean, that, that, uh, that first batter was Marcus Simeon. It was a, a non hard hit ground ball that ended up being a hit, you know, found the right spot. It was uh, too far to the left of Jeremy Pena. I think he caught some glove on it, but um, ultimately was not able to get the out with, with Simeon running. And then Corey Seager, you know, the, you know, the ultimate Texas leaguer. I mean, I guess fittingly yeah. for the Rangers, it was a, it was a Texas leaguer, but it was a, it was, was hit 66, yeah, 66.6 miles per hour, 42 degree launch angle. Um, but it, those types of batted balls can find the perfect spot and that's ultimately what it did. And that's not really to the fault of Framer Valdez. That wasn't barreled up at all. It just, it just found the exact right spot. Um, then you have the error and then a uh, hard hit line drive by Adolis Garcia, a uh, regular line drive hit by Mitch Garver and, and bam, you got it going. Then a strikeout, then a, then a very hard hit ground ball by Nathaniel Lowe. So yeah, there was a little bit of a, there was a little bit of bad bippery, but also some some quality contacts delivered from the Rangers, just a little bit. Yeah, I know. Framber only gave up one home run. It was the one to Jonah Hine that went to the Crawford boxes. But yeah, I mean, he didn't look like himself in that outing overall. He only had a 50, 50% ground ball rate, uh, yeah. which is below his average, believe it or not. Yep. Five yep. out of 10 batted balls on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the error definitely... Um, definitely killed him a little bit it, you know mm-hmm. it just ignited the rangers offense and literally put two guys two more guys in scoring position so um that you know that that was a big uh big detractor um and and yeah you had another error that game too so yeah and uh there was there was some some babippery and it was funny because it was the only sec only the second time this postseason that a team that was out homered won the game. Yeah. Uh, the Rangers had less home runs than the Astros and still won. So yeah, there's there's gonna be some balls that have to roll your way to in order to do in order to do that. Yeah. Um one thing that the Rangers have done very well all postseason is situational pitching. Uh throughout the entire postseason between the Rays series, the Orioles series, and the Astros series, opponents are hitting just 179. Uh, and slugging only 256 against the Rangers with runners in scoring position. Uh, the Rangers have been able to give up the big hit all, all postseason, and that's why they haven't lost yet. Uh, and then also in this series specifically, the Astros are one for nine with runners in scoring position. And the one hit was a single that brought a runner from second to third. So, uh, you know, none of, so they're basically 0 for 8, really, because like, those those kinds of hits those hits with the runners in scoring position just kind of feel like they don't count. Yeah, like, right, right, right. If you get a hit with a runner in scoring position and it doesn't score a guy, does it really count? Yeah, because the the implication of getting a getting a hit with a runner in scoring position is that they're going to score. But <laughs> yeah, like you're converting an opportunity to score into a run, and they ultimately were not doing that. Yeah, and what does suck is a lot of the time it's just the hitter was too good. He hit the ball too hard. Yep. Like he Which didn't is probably what happened. Yeah. Cause it was a single through the hole. I think it was Maldonado, but I. Yeah. Like he didn't ground a ball softly at 85 miles per hour through the hole and allow the runner at second yeah. time to score. Like 
It's just like, like he had a laser. Find the exact window at 85 miles per hour where neither fielder would have been in a position to steal the ball. Yeah, exactly. Which was like exactly. probably impossible. Exactly. Um, and uh, you know, speaking of situational pitching, I think what a lot of this game comes down to, and a lot of what Astros fans are gonna think of when they think of this loss, especially you know how it ultimately came down to one run, was a bases loaded, no out situation that they were you know handed and were unable to convert whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I mean they had bottom of the fifth they're down five to two uh they have hitters nine one and two up yiner diaz who pinch hit for martin maldonado and is a much superior hitter to martin maldonado yiner diaz jose altuve and alex bregman uh you have basically those strikeout strikeout fly or strikeout strikeout ground out right strikeout strikeout ground out and i'm trying to see what the um win probability added was but i thought i thought the baseball reference um play by play had that but um i could find the uh the savant one yeah that that might help but i imagine that was you know a big detractor of win probability added for i could see it on the graph yeah for the uh for the astros because i mean bases loaded nobody out I wonder what the RE24 is on that, like the run expectancy, but I imagine that run expectancy is like over two. Um, so this was in the bottom of the fifth inning. And um, yeah, and after after the bottom, after the top of the fifth ended, uh, Nathaniel Lowe flew out to end the inning. The Rangers had an 82% win probability. And then when the Astros loaded the bases, it went down to only 60%. And 10% on the Alex Bregman ground out. Yeah. So yeah, there you well, go. What was the what was the exact thing on the Bergman ground out? It, w- it went from eighty two to sixty to eighty seven. Wow! So it went um, up by five percent overall. Obviously, because you know it's less outs they needed to convert to win the game. At the same yeah. score. Yeah. So, and also, um, if you don't know what a uh, re twenty four is, it's just the run expectancy for each base runner and out situation. And this chart on Fangraphs is like. I don't know, 10 years old, but it's like, it's probably the run environment of 2011 and now is pretty similar. So I imagine it's pretty, it's the run expectancy is around the same, but the run expectancy on bases loaded, nobody out is 2.3 runs. And, you know, when you don't capitalize on that, it makes sense why you lose the game in, in that fashion. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Um, yeah. Um, and and ultimately the Astros in game two were 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. Um, you know, Altuve, as I mentioned, he was one of those strikeouts in the bases loaded uh, situation in that fifth inning. He so far is 0 for 8 with no batted balls with an expected batting average above 400. Um, so he's not had any batted balls with a 40% or higher hit probability. And he's 0 for 8 because of that. Um, just hasn't been hitting a lot of like line drives or hard fly balls. Um, just hasn't been hasn't been coming through. And he was a major factor of what got them that division. You know, he was dominant down the stretch, but unfortunately has not delivered in these first two games. Um, any more thoughts on the series so far? Um, I mean, the Rangers have definitely, I think, surprised a lot of people. Um you know, the Astros are obviously the Astros for a reason. You know, the ALCS has become the 
to see if you can beat the Astros and make it to the World Series competition. And uh, I think the Rain the uh, Rangers only the second team to go up 2-0 against them. The other one being the Rays in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I found I found it really funny as I was watching like the Astros have the they they went to six uh ALCSs six straight ALCSs and they were all against AL East teams. Yep, and now it's against an AL West team. Now it's against an AL West team. It's only the second time in this stretch where it's not the Red Sox or Yankees. So only the second time neither of us have a real rooting interest. And even in, in 2020, I mean, we were rooting hard against the Astros because of the scandal just happened. Yeah, and also the Rays were our preseason pick. Yeah, yeah, and which was unusual. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's kind of funny how that worked out. Um, one thing I I think I'll uh I'll get into with this Phillies Diamondback series is the TBS curse could very well still be on. I think they haven't. I think TBS has not had a a, a an LCS longer than Fox's LCS since two thousand eight. Um, so that could very well still go on. They've been wasn't they, uh wasn't that twenty one one like technically like the TBS series went longer because it was one day longer. They went to the same number of games. Um, yeah, I think it was. So they've they've had the same number of games like four times in the stretch, mm-hmm. and and less number of games like nine times or something like that, and then and then yet. Yeah more games than fox zero times since since 2008 right, so yeah because 2020 was also the same length um yeah both game seven yeah two yeah. game sevens so crazy to think about nowadays two lcs game sevens yeah could you imagine um we're just hoping we get two lcs game fives <laughs> yeah exactly but um but yeah i could see that very well keeping going um, do we want to get into Phillies Diamondbacks? Let's get into Phillies Diamondbacks. So, so yeah, this is pretty par for the course of what I expected. Um, <sighs> especially at Citizens Bank. Like, yeah, I don't know. I feel weird that I picked. Like the Diamondbacks just have never made sense these entire playoffs. Like I picked them to get swept against the Brewers, and they swept them. I picked them to get swept against the Dodgers, and they swept them. You know, even if. Even if you liked the Diamondbacks against the Dodgers, I don't think anyone seriously was thinking sweep. Um, you know, I don't think anyone was thinking, yeah, they're going to hold Betts and Freeman to going one for 21. I thought maybe they would have snuck out of Citizens Bank Park with one win just because they're so chaotic. They didn't even, I mean, they didn't kind of come close in game one, but nah. it was yeah. it was just the Phillies are like looked like a much, much better team to the point where we didn't even really mention like, oh, the Diamondbacks could come back at Chase Field. They could, but it doesn't feel likely with how those first two games went. Yeah, and and to add to the narrative of these playoffs sucking is like neither the Astros nor the Diamondbacks have held the lead in this in these uh, two yep. series. Yeah. So so yeah, like um yeah, the Diamondbacks, yeah, I, I you know, you, you you didn't know fully what to expect from this series given the fact that they went five and oh against against two division winners that we respected pretty well but i think what we're seeing in these at least these first two games of the series is the narratives that prevented me from picking the diamondbacks earlier starting to come to fruition i did not like their offense coming into this postseason because they were a below average offense and they've scored two runs um off of a off of a kind of cheap home run um and and that's it they or, or no they've scored uh three runs excuse me 
he scored three yeah three runs two earned i think um so they've scored three runs which is you know that's that's going into the narrative of, of them not you know having a complete offense and then uh also yesterday not that it lost them the game but their bullpen started to show some weakness they gave up i think six runs um in this year you know in this uh in this game too so i think part of it is the the things that prevented us from liking the diamondbacks earlier are starting to are starting to come out yeah i mean this is kind of what I saw the Diamondbacks as when they entered the playoffs, um, you know, I I was never a big fan of the Brewers heading into the playoffs, but I thought they could have at least beaten this Diamondbacks team. Uh, and that Diamondbacks team didn't come to play in uh, Milwaukee or LA, but it seems like they've been here in Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, the Phillies are just hitting a million home runs. Like I said, I think they've hit like 19 in the last four games or something like that. Um. Yeah, it's... It's been it's, it's been something else. It's it, absurd. It feels like every day there's a new guy where it's like, this guy, this is the most home runs in a certain game span in mm. playoff history, or like yeah, because Nick Castellanos had the back to back, uh, multi homer games, and then he hit another one in in the next game after that. Yeah, I I think the stat was like, the only other player to have five home runs in a three game playoff span was Reggie Jackson in 1977. Yeah. When he hit three in one game, a guy who's literally named after the playoff month, yep. Mr. October. Yeah. Like, Nick Castellanos did that. A Hall of Famer. Like Kyle Schwarber has three home runs in this series. No one really even bats an eye because it's just like, yeah, it's what the Phillies are doing. Yeah. Well, cause there's yeah, Cause he's been like the fourth best player on the team. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, and and I don't even discredit you for for having the Diamondbacks go seven against them because yeah, they hadn't made sense it, up to this yeah. point. Like, now this they're starting when, to make they're starting yeah. to make a little bit of sense. Yeah, I don't know. I hope they can maybe take one in Chase Field, maybe even two to send it back to Philadelphia because I think it'd be fun to have the Phillies clinch at home. Obviously, um, yeah. I mean, the way it's going right now, Phillies Rangers seems like it would be a fun World Series, but it also seems like the Phillies might just roll over them too. Or the Rangers might find a way to roll over them. Yeah, luckily, um, so I think they have literally every possibility possible. I think they have the same record, and the Rangers swept them in that first series of the year. Of the year, so, that's right. So yeah, dude, they faced the, the Rangers. Faced would the, the Rangers would at least start at home? So it feels like yeah. What a what a job by the balanced schedule makers by putting the World Series on opening day of the first year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, the Rangers um, did sweep them on opening on the opening weekend. Yeah, exactly. Even though, yeah, DeGrom gave up a home run to I think it was Real Muto. Uh I know I know I talked about his start in depth pretty well after. It was Yeah. It might have been Real Muto, yeah. I think I it was think like it an, was. I remember watching right it. Field. I remember watching it in old 07 Wiser. Oh yeah. Yep. Right yep. back in those days. I was I was in Townhouse Eight watching, um. But yeah, it was a Thursday, so you were pretty busy. Yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, uh, regarding, yeah, regarding the the Phillies Diamondbacks series, they, like the Diamondbacks, yeah, they hadn't made sense. They they scored eleven on the Dodgers game one and had record setting like, you know, metrics like record setting exit velocity and and barrel numbers. Uh, that we just had not seen in a in a in the playoffs in the last decade, 
and you know they had scored overall 19 runs in that Dodgers series and but now it but now yeah it's starting to make a little bit of sense scoring three runs against this Philly staff like and and I guess this is a bit of a credit to Philly's roster construction versus Dodgers roster construction I mean it's the old adage of like starting pitching winning winning playoff games but you know I think I think the Diamondbacks clearly would have a a tougher time against Wheeler and Nola than they would against you know Kershaw given granted it is Kershaw but he did have like a 5-4 5-4 ERA in his last eight start or 5-4 FIP in his last eight starts and then Bobby Miller and Lance Lynn like they, they'd rather face those three guys than Wheeler Nola and um, now Suarez right um, cause Suarez has actually been doing pretty well or at least he did well against the Braves um, yeah it's it's been uh, it's been something else to go into some statistics on this Phillies Diamondback series Zach Gallen, um, you know, had a had a disappointing start. Um, I, I think he would agree first with that. First pitch home run. Yeah, yeah. yeah for, first pitch home run, fastball right down the pipe. Uh, five innings, five runs, two walks, four strikeouts, and three home runs allowed. Uh, Gallen had seven batted balls in the sweet spot zone, hit one hundred plus miles per hour, and that is the most in a playoff game in the Statcast era. Um. So he was having he was having some real trouble, you know, just keeping the Phillies offense at bay and and getting the good type of contact. Yeah, no, Gallon. Uh, yeah, I mean, he gave up a lot of loud contact. Obviously, gave up a lot of, uh, you know, the right contact or the wrong contact in his case. Uh, yeah, the Phillies hit three home runs off him between Harper, Schwarber, and Castellanos. Um, it's kind of weird to think that the. The Diamondbacks were like in that game because right? they were down five nothing. They made it five three. Um, they had the tying run on base in each of the last four innings, but they were they were in that one. Yeah, it is weird to think about that. Um, you know, we we mentioned the Diamondbacks haven't had a lead, but it was it was competitive down the stretch, which was um, you know, a little bit surprising. Uh, and you know, as far as the as far as Zach Gallon's counterpart, Zach Wheeler. Uh, continued to do what he does in the playoffs. Six innings pitched, two runs allowed, no walks, eight strikeouts, a 40% whiff rate, 37% called strike and whiff rate, and 36% chase rate. Uh, if you're unaware, all of those are very, very well above average numbers um, with the whiff rate, called strike and whiff rate, and chase rate. Um, also, what I found uh, interesting with Wheeler is four of the 13 batted balls he allowed were pop-ups. That's a 31% pop-up rate. League average is around 8%. And uh, he only allowed three bad balls in the sweet spot zone. That's less than 25%. That's crazy. And um, actually, the next stat I put down might be a little bit outdated, so I won't get into that. But, I mean, you know, I think we could get into the dominance of of Zach Wheeler's playoffs so far. I mean, all three starts have been pretty effective. I mean, he did give up three runs in that in that Braves in that Braves game, but it wasn't enough to give him a loss. He's gone 19 innings, had a 2.37 ERA, but even better, a 2.05 FIP, a 38% strikeout rate, 1% walk rate, 24% sweet spot rate against, and 14% line drive rate against. I, I think there's an argument that he's just the best pitcher in these playoffs right now. He has to be. One thing that I really wonder is that you know the Phillies are going to be in an interesting spot this offseason with Aaron Nola possibly leaving. With Zach Wheeler entering a contract year, do you think maybe they just extend Zach Wheeler in this offseason? Because 
I mean, right now, I mean, like I said, there's one year left on his contract after this year. He's not giving them a single reason not to because he's still, you know, he was he was arguably the best pitcher in the regular season. I know that his ERA wouldn't suggest that, but I believe he had the highest war, right? He had a very good fit. He just had a tough, uh, he had some tough luck with the runners in scoring position this year, and he was a guy that could have been the Cy Young in 2021. He continued to dominate in 22. Uh, I think you could argue that over the last three seasons, no one's been a better pitcher than Zach Wheeler. No one's been more consistent. No one's been more reliable. And we've seen in these playoffs that he's taken it to another level. So I think it's very possible the Phillies maybe look into an extension of him this offseason. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the the concern you would have with that is age, and he's just out there throwing 97 like it's nothing. Yep. Um, so that doesn't seem to be as much much of a concern. I think when we talked about it with the Darvish deal, when that happened was, you know, guys like Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer succeeding in their late thirties does, I think, give teams a little bit more of an excuse to pay, uh, to pay pitchers well into their thirties as opposed to position players. And I could easily see uh, Wheeler getting like a, a three-year $100 million contract or a, or a four-year $125 million contract. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm the Phillies, I, I think I'm giving that out like candy. Yeah, I mean, and that extension would start at age 35. Like, that's not crazy old. Like, you could give him no. another, you can give him another, like, yeah, a three, four-year deal. And you could maybe even still expect to see him uh, doing well in, like, at least three of those four years. Yeah, like, Justin Verlander's 40. He's making $43 million this year. Yep. And it made sense. And it, Yeah, it did. It, no one was criticizing that contract. Um, You know, he just, he had just won a Cy Young. And Zach Wheeler is... You know, he's not going to win Cy Young, but he's that echelon of pitcher. And we're seeing that in these playoffs with that 38% strikeout rate and 1% walk rate, which I'm not going to get over. It's pretty absurd. Um, and, uh, you know, on on uh, go, going to Tuesday night where the Phillies won, what was it, 10 nothing? Uh, yeah, it was 10 nothing. Almost started losing track over there. Uh, Merrill Kelly had a real rough one. He allowed five barrels. Um, by the way, a barrel is it's based on a combination of how hard you hit the ball and the angle at which you hit it at. And the harder you hit it, the more the spectrum of the angle there is. And I think like at least half of barrels end up being home runs, which is why we talk about it mm-hmm. so much. Merrill Kelly allowed five barrels, and that is the most allowed by a pitcher in a playoff game in the stat cast era. Wow. Um he was having a uh he was having a rough one. You know, he allowed, ended up allowing, um, I think, four runs. Bullpen gave up six more. Um, was less due to home runs than, than, uh, yeah, than Merrill Kelly. Yeah, one to Turner and one to Schwarber. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it, it was, you know, rough outing for Kelly. He had a much better outing against the Dodgers. And, um, and yeah, that was the only previous playoff start he had. Much better start against the Dodgers than he did against the Phillies. Um, so... So, yeah, and then Philly's pitching as a whole throughout the series, great strikeout-to-walk numbers, great just overall numbers. They've The Phillies pitching staff, you know, whether it be Wheeler, Nola, guys out of the bullpen, 35.4% strikeout rate. League average is like 22%. They're at 354 4.6% walk rate. League average is around 8%. They're at 4.6. One home run allowed, one ERA, 192 FIB. It seems like no matter who the Phillies are going to uh, in whatever situation, you feel like you have a bit of confidence in them. 
Yeah, I mean, the Phillies bullpen looks stacked right now, you know, whether it's Orion Kirkering coming out, whether it's Jeff Hoffman, whether it's Jose Alvarado, Craig Kimbrell, Matt Strom. Like, every guy has gone out there and delivered for them throughout these entire playoffs, except, you know, Jeff Hoffman threw that one bad slider, and that's been it. Yeah, really, that's that's been it. And this is the most confident we've been in a Phillies bullpen in a in a really, really long time. You know, more more confident than last year far more confident than you know the late 2010s teams that were that were infamous for their horrible bullpens um you know you you have to think back to like the Brad Lidge days to think about yep. how how you know how long it's been since a Phillies bullpen has been you know a, a solid bullpen like it has been and you know it, it hasn't just been their starting pitching it's been no, their it bullpen hasn't. too yeah i mean the bullpen's been a major part of it exactly exactly um and then uh you know, I think a guy who could be getting more attention just for what he's been doing the entire playoffs is Trey Turner. I tweeted out a couple of stats um, and he's just been unreal. And, you know, people are talking, people are talking rightfully so about a lot of different players in the Phillies, you know, talking about Harper and Castellanos for the most part, even Zach Wheeler, you know, when he starts, but Trey Turner is, has been kind of an unsung hero. He is in these eight, in these eight playoff games that he's played, um, and that the Phillies have played, he is hitting 500 with a 1525 OPS, only a 12% strikeout rate, a 42% sweet spot rate. League average is around 33%. He's at 42, 35% line drive rate, and a 35% hard hit line drive rate. So That's that line crazy. drive rate is is already like 10 per- percentage points above league average. But all of those line drives have been hard hit line drives, which you know hitters hit around 700 on those types of batted balls. Uh, Turner also has a 19% barrel rate in the playoffs and a 94.7 mile per hour average exit velocity. Um, Turner, and he's also been doing it on the bases. He has four stolen bases in these eight games, which is a, it's, it's a really, really good pace and makes sense considering how much he's getting on base. And it is the only eight game span in playoff history with 15 plus hits, five plus doubles, three plus home runs and three plus stolen bases. And Trey Turner, you know, out of uh, 213 postseasons by players with 25 plus batted balls in the StatCast era, Trey Turner's 2023 postseason has the highest hard hit line drive rate. Um, so it's it's been unbelievable to see what he's been doing, especially considering where he was at in like early August. Yeah, I mean, the standing ovation really changed him uh, for the better, no doubt. I mean, it's good that, you know, that contract looks awesome now. You know, even if even if he reverts back to whatever he was in, you know, April through July next year, you know, there like we know that it's in there. We know that he's still got it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like there's a there's a lot of reason to be alarmed about him come late July, early August. His, his OPS was around it was in the six fifties. Wasn't like he was really getting unlucky. You know, uh you put him as a slightly alarming because he was because he was a slightly alarming. He was a slightly alarming. He was whiffing. I just did against, my job there. Yeah, he was. He was whiffing. This, that's not an old takes exposed. Like you were right to put him as a slightly alarming. You, you weren't projecting future failure. It was just you were talking about his his recent failure, yeah. and it, it 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 had been a massive failure up to uh up to like August whatever, because he was whiffing like crazy against forcing fastballs. He was striking out way more in general, and you know he just got back to wherever he was. He he got back to the $300 million player that he is. And 
you know, this is this is why the Phillies signed him is is to help them win a World Series, and that's exactly what he's been doing in these past eight playoff games. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been awesome to watch, and yeah, it is getting overshadowed a bit because there have been other really good players on the Phillies uh, throughout yeah. these post these playoffs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just so many great performances from the Phillies, um, and yeah, the fact that they've even lost a playoff game is kind of shocking. Yeah. Um, considering how dominant they've been playing. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it. It's also very funny that, like, it doesn't feel like they're about to play their third road game, and also it doesn't feel like the Rangers are about to play their, about to play their second home game, considering how long these playoffs have been going on right now, but they are. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, is very, it is very funny how that all worked out, especially for the Rangers. Um, yep. Like, they're 7-0 in the playoffs, and they've played one home game. That's pretty – that's an imp- – pretty incredible mark so the rate um, the rate real quick the rangers phillies and astros all won the same number of games right um rangers phillies and astros yes yeah so if it's a rangers phillies world series game one would be in texas right i they won think the season so series. yeah I, I think it would be based on head-to-head yeah which is very funny that the opening day matchup ended up determining that if that's the case yeah, like <laughs> I'm assuming if the Astros win, they'll just automatically get it because, like, they won the division. Yeah, we'll 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 dive into those games where Derek Hall was the starting first baseman. Yep. Yep. And like yeah. the four or five hitter. Yeah. Hey, Jacob Degrom did did <laughs> did contribute to the Rangers this season. <laughs> For that, remember that game where he gave up a home run to JT Rio Muto and he had like five earned runs or whatever it was. That was a huge start. Nobody yeah. knew it though. It's like, and then I'm a- I'm analyzing like, well, he did give up four extra base hits with sub 92 mile per hour <laughs> exit velocities. Yep. And not enough people are talking about that. There was a lack of luck there. Yeah. Um. But um. But yeah. Uh. Yeah. There was there was a video about that about the Rangers something that happened in that Rangers Phillies series. We have a YouTube short slash Instagram reel about it. So we do, and it might end up mattering. I mean, yeah. it probably wouldn't have. Even if the Phillies won that game, the Rangers still would have won this, the series two to one. Yeah, that's but true. But you know what? Who cares? Who cares? Um, yeah. Any any um particular thoughts on how we're outlooking these next whatever three or or two to five games that we have left for each series? I think the Astros do send it back to Houston. Um, I think they can find a way to to take two, especially I think, I mean, you know, Christian Javier versus Max Serger might be a mismatch. I know it's a crazy thing to say with Serger on the mound, but, you know, Javier has been excellent in the playoffs for the last couple of years. And Serger, you know, he's a question mark because he's coming back from an injury. He struggled against the Astros his last time facing them. We don't know how that's going to go. And also, I think, you know, this, the Astros down 2-0, uh, they're going to have, you know, some sort of spark. Uh, but it's also possible the Rangers could just continue to surprise us. Uh, I think the Phillies probably clinch at Chase Field. I think that's pretty. I think that's probably the safe take to have, right? I mean, they have to win two out of three when they. It felt like they dominated the first two, even though they only won game one by two runs. Yeah, and I mean the 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 Diamondbacks have two. Two even just above average starting pitchers, and the Phillies crushed both of them. And now they got Brandon Fott to yeah, go. I was gonna say, like, who is even starting Game Four? Like, I thought it would have been Ryan Nelson, but he pitched out of the bullpen last night. 
Like I think Zach Gallon threw a lot of pitches in in, in yeah. game one, so I don't know if they go to him. I'm also curious who the Phillies go to. I feel like it'll be between uh, Christopher Sanchez and Taiwan Walker. Obviously, you know who I'm rooting for in that scenario. Yeah, I, I think Christopher Sanchez has objectively been better. Um, yeah. so it just depends what uh what Rob Thompson is feeling. But yeah, I think I think you have a good point there with Max Scherzer being a question mark. I think a lot of fans see just the name Max Scherzer and they're like, yeah, I mean, I, I really want this guy out there, which, which is understandable. He has a good resume, but... I mean, remember, don't forget, last time he pitched in the playoffs, he gave up four home runs to the Padres. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. he's capable of blowing up. Yeah, like the last time he, he, played, he pitched in the playoffs, he was... You know, he had a blow-up start last time he pitched against the Rangers or or pitch against the Astros, excuse me. I think it was a bit of a blow up a blow-up start. So, you know, you never know. Meanwhile, Christian Javier, he had a rough like last three and a half months of the season, but I mean, had a 50% whiff rate against the twins and allowed zero runs in five innings. So yep. so, you know, I Christian Javier in the postseason, like there's there's a little bit of something to that. We saw that last year. Um and as far as game four, yeah, it, it would be Urquidy Ur- versus like Heaney, maybe. Yeah. Ray, um, which seems pretty even. Um, maybe maybe a bit of an advantage for the Astros, but granted, the Rangers do have the better offense. Um, yeah. I'll I'll well, uh, re I'll reinvite. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the status of these two series. Hopefully they you know provide a little bit more entertainment value than they've than they've been providing uh but there was some news outside of those four teams to happen over the past few days uh the but it was a playoff team that had some news surrounding them it was the miami marlins um as that them and general manager kim ing have mutually parted ways kim ing uh is is famously known for being the first female general manager in I think all of professional sports uh, or all of uh, the big four uh, professional sports. And uh, she is mutually parting ways with the Miami Marlins. You know, she was credited a lot for how well the Marlins did this year. What were your thoughts on, on this news? Yeah, this was pretty shocking news. I think throughout pretty much the whole baseball world, uh, Kim Ang's contract was obviously up this year, so there was some speculation on whether she was going to return, but uh, it sounds like the reason she moved on is pretty disappointing from the Marlins' perspective, where uh, they wanted to hire a baseball operations, a president of baseball operations, uh, to be sort of above her in the pecking order of who gets to make the decisions. Um, which, like, for that reason, I understand why Kim Ang wanted to leave. Um, but uh, obviously, now they're in search for possibly both a GM and a president of baseball ops. Uh, I don't know. What What do you think of the whole the whole reporting stuff that came out? Yeah, it, it was it was interesting, especially like, you know, I didn't dive too deep into the details, unfortunately. But just generally, when you when you see that and you see the success of the Marlins this past year, you're you're naturally going to be a, a, a bit a bit surprised and wondering what the Marlins thinking was was on it and I mean you know to to paint to to paint the Kimming era of the Marlins in only a only a brush that highlights their 2023 season would be a wrong way to do it you know she's been there three years she's had 
her successes, you know, most more recently success, but she's also had a, a couple of failures on her part. You know, some of the signings that she's been allowed to make, um, you know, she hasn't, you know, the, the players haven't come through on them, uh, at least with the Avasil Garcia uh, contract, it hasn't been great. Um, I know the farm system development and the draft picks have not been highly complimented, but I don't think there was any real, I, I don't think the Marlins were justified in trying to put someone above her, especially with how great the Marlins season went and how highly above expectations they were, uh, especially because of some of the trades that, that uh, Kim Ng made, especially with Jake Berger and Josh Bell. Um, even the Jorge Soler contract looked pretty good this year. So uh, I was kind of surprised about it. Yeah, not only that, but also like the Sandy Alcantara extension that happened under her was below his market value. And I think it was before he won the Cy Young. Uh, that's another thing that she did very well. I think Kim Ng did a lot of things very well in Miami. I think overall, you know, she should be remembered as someone that got them to the playoffs and like built some sort of foundation over there. Uh, obviously, not, not everything went well, but like, you know, GMs are going to have that happen. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they're justified in wanting to have someone above her right now, especially since she just got them to the playoffs. And then I don't say that in a way where like, you know, like, oh, her team got her to the playoffs. Like she got the Marlins to the playoffs because the top, I mean, something that I've said multiple times on this show is that from uh, June through or from August through October, nobody had a better trade deadline than the Miami Marlins. I mean, Jake Berger and Josh Bell, they don't get to the playoffs without those guys. I uh, like there's I don't even think there's an argument to be made that they they get to the playoffs with those guys. They fundamentally don't. Um so to, and you know, I don't think it's bad to want to hire a baseball a president of baseball ops with a GM already in place because they are two different jobs, like they have two different titles for a reason. Um and it's a tough thing to do both. Like it's not easy to do both. It would take a lot of weight off Kim Ang's shoulders to have someone else doing the other part of it. Um, but to, to, but to try to hire someone and put them above you in the decision-making, that's something that's going to drive any GM away. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a slap in the face. Like, you know, it's, you get to keep the same position, but you don't have the same role. And I'm, I'm looking at like, it looks like I think three of the top four, um, Three of the top four players in B War, and uh, in, in, you can say whatever you want about B War, but this, that's just how Baseball Reference is lined up. But three of the top four players in B War from the from the uh, Marlins this year, Marlins, yeah, were acquired in Kim Ng trades. Uh, it yep. was Luis Arise. He led the way, and I know that they let go of Pablo Lopez, but the they needed Luis Arise more than they needed. Pablo Lopez, who is maybe who is, like one of the best win-win trades ever. Exactly. And the twins needed Pablo Lopez more than they needed uh Luis Arise. Then number two is Jesus Lazardo. He that's one of the best steel trades of all time. Uh, you know, the the Marlins got a really, really high quality starting pitcher in Jesus Jesus Lazardo, who was already highly touted when he was picked up for years start, of control. Yeah, with many years of control. And they only had to get rid of Starling Marte, who played two months for the A's and didn't make the playoffs. And then yeah. uh, number four in B-War was Tanner Scott, who was traded to Miami in 2022 
from the Orioles. I uh, can't imagine there was much of a price tag on him. And he was one of the most dominant relievers in baseball this year. So, you know, like exactly. They succeeded because of Kim- Kimming's, you know, moves. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very weird. Um, I'm sure she'll find another job somewhere. Maybe not immediately as a GM, but I wouldn't be surprised if she's leading another uh, operation somewhere else uh, in the near future. Um, it is definitely a question, a big question mark, why the Marlins would have done this because it's not it's not uncommon for for teams to hire a president of baseball operations while they have an acting GM or vice versa. Uh, but to explicitly say, like, we're going to put this person above you in who makes the decisions, like, that is not something that I can recall happening on too many other instances. Yeah. And unless, I mean, unless it was, like, unless it was, like, not really an established GM with a big guy coming in, right? Like, the Red Sox hiring Dave Dombrowski when they already had Mike Hazen. Like, that's a very different scenario. Yeah, and it's like, if, if you want a president of baseball operations who has already, who already has success within your organization and led your team to its first let's call it let's call it spade a spade its first real playoff appearance since i think like 2003 yeah first playoff appearance in a 162 game season since 2003 you could just promote kim ing to president of baseball operations um i don't Mm -hmm. think that's a pretty i don't think that's a hefty thing to do i don't think it involves paperwork i think it's pretty justified as well exactly yeah um you know there's not many there are not many GMs that would have been able to put this Marlins team in, team in the playoffs. And, you know, Kimming has been an overall net positive for the Marlins. And yeah, I mean, I think the Marlins are going to regret, regret this one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who they're going to go with from here. Um, but yeah, it's, it was certainly a question mark. I think there's definitely more they could have done to keep her there. I know that her contract ran out and it was ultimately her decision to leave, but it definitely felt like the Marlins kind of did it to themselves. Yeah. And, and hopes to her. I hope she, I hope she gets a number one position at a, in a bigger market and maybe yeah. her success can be shined a little bit brighter uh, or sh- shown a little bit brighter. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, you know, professional journalist. I don't know words though. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it, that was a, that was a really, really weird situation. Cause you can't even say like, that the team underperformed. They they overperformed. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they overperformed this year. And you also can't say that it wasn't because of Kim Ang. Exactly. Like she played a, a massive role in getting that team to the playoffs. Like the only te- like some of the only like the only real major contributor that was not acquired by Kim Ng was probably Braxton Garrett, who was drafted in 2016. And even then it's not like she kept him in the organization. She made a lot of trades, but kept him in the organization. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think, I don't think anyone she's traded has really gone out and done a crazy amount. Like, yeah. I don't think JJ Blade is out there being an MVP candidate right now. I mean, respectfully, he's not. No. Um. Anyway, right. I mean, anything more on the on the topic? No, I mean, I think that's it. It's definitely unfortunate news generally for the baseball world that you know because kim ang is obviously kind of a beacon of uh display of where the game of baseball has gone with uh diversity and initiatives i guess and she's someone that you know i think did very well in her job um i think most i think most of the general populace that actually like paid attention would agree with that um 
And it is unfortunate that, you know, the first uh, female, um, you know, executive tenure like this has to end in this way, but I don't think it'll be the last, especially for her. Um, yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, there's a reason why she had, I think, 25 or 20 plus years of front office experience prior to this position. There's mm-hmm. a reason why she was overqualified to be a GM of the Marlins. And yeah, us, us speaking highly of of kimming is is not you know i, I don't know how this is gonna be taken but it's not a yas women take it's it's like it's it's i mean it is it is but it's it also is, like, but like and, and i think not it, not was, not blindly saying you know yeah. what it is like it's like we're, we're giving valid actual reason that we would give to any other gm if they were fired for taking their team to the playoffs after a yeah like the 100 game season the spite the spotlight is is shown a little brighter on her because you know of of the history that she made but also like she was objectively good and it's it's not it's not just the fact of like oh this is historic oh this is you know this is really cool that we have a female general manager she was actually really good and and i don't like i think the marlins are going to regret this decision yeah um whether or not you know if it was if it was uh Ken Ng, it would also be a bad decision to do this. Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. So, anyway, uh, anything more before we uh, wrap this up? I think that's it. All right. Well, that shall do it for this installment of Above Our Plate for Radio. We hope you enjoyed this one. Um, we hope you enjoyed this one more than the 2023 MLB playoffs uh, <laughs> because they've been pretty atrocious. But uh, if you are listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check out all the digital content, all the, all of our playlists, including guest interviews and the baseball history series. Also, follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter, actress underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. We both have the stats rolling in. Daniel's got the matchups to watch. Uh, I've got, you know, whatever weird stuff is going on in my head that I'm trying to find. And then, uh, and then, yeah. And uh, that does it for this installment of replacement radio. We hope to see you next time where we will be talking, probably wrapping up the uh, (laughs) probably recapping the LCSs with how these MLB playoffs are going. So we will see you then. This conversation, this conversation is over. Is over.